Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Not Without My Sister with me, Beatrice McCabe. And my sister, Rosemary McCabe. Correct. Oh, sorry. Hi. No. <laughs> correct. <laughs> Thanks, Rosemary. Thanks a lot. It is us. You are correct. I am your sister, Rosemary McCabe. And listen, while I have you, if you're not already on our Patreon, we have now 76 exclusive bonus episodes on Patreon that you have not heard anywhere else. Patreon.com slash not without my sister for, I think it's $5 a month. You can sign up, get an extra episode each and every week, and you'll also get your main feed episodes without ads. If that's, that's sorry, I should say you are if you are listening to us the week of the first week of December, we have seventy six episodes on our Patreon. If you're listening to us at any point after that, we have even more. We have seventy six yeah. plus. We, episodes. we could have hundreds of episodes. We could be dead. This could be years in the future. That is incredibly morbid. Thanks a lot. So on that note, on that true note of morbidity, is that a word? On that note of morbidity, uh, lividity, it probably is. On that note of morbidity. I think morbidity actually means like being dead or something. I don't think it means morbidness. Go on anyway. Don't look it up. Don't. It's better not to know. On that morbid note, exactly. I was struck recently when we went to see David Sedaris in the embassy, the historic, as as they like to say in their emails, the historic embassy theatre of Fort Wayne, which is actually a beautiful theatre from yeah, the turn of building. the nineteenth century, in the beginning of the beginning of the end of the nineteenth century. I think I actually should know all about it because I went and accompanied Nat. I chaperoned his school tour on like a four hour tour tour of the of aforementioned theatre and we four went, hour tour for kids 
was absolutely amazing. They all loved it. Did they? Yeah, they really did. It was amazing. And we went behind the wings. We went under the theater. We went everywhere. Anyway, it was very interesting. And they had lunch in like the adjacent cafe. It actually was once a hotel. And so there's a beautiful hotel attached to it, which is no longer in use, I believe. You're right. Morbidity, the condition of suffering from a disease or medical condition. Yeah. Okay. So totally wrong. Respiratory morbidity. Okay. okay so back, to, back to David Sedaris. Anyway, so I was totally using, using that word incorrectly. So apologies for that stupidity. Right. So back to David Sedaris. So we went to see him and we had a great seat. We had great seats. We went to their Irish cousins. So they, they had, and I was delighted. I was like, oh, here's something you can only get in America. And they're like, oh, we've seen him about nine times already in Dublin. And you'd already seen him about 18 times. So I was absolutely. Twice, twice. Never one to exaggerate Beatrice McCabe. I was incredibly peeved that my surprise gift, only I was surprised by it as it turned out. <laughs> So anyway, there we went. And as he was reading, he was reading a, a Christmas story that he wrote, that he was commissioned to write by the BBC. And it was about, it was written in the form of a letter to Santa from this young child. And, you know, it was humorous at moments, but it was also quite poignant and sad. And at one point, the child is talking about the village or the town he used to live in. And he says, I used to live, you know, we, I'm actually from this town over here, Santa. It's X number of miles away. And you should see it, Santa. It's lovely. Our house was this house on, on you know, Winter Street. And there's a swimming pool there, Santa, for all the kids to swim in. And he actually started choking up as he was reading it. And you could hear the kind of hitch in his voice. And he, and he paused and composed himself. And I kind of noticed it, but thought nothing of it. Like I, it registered, you know, like subconsciously with me that he was getting very emotional, but then he went on, he kept reading and it was funny and, you know, there was humor and it's kind of dark humor, but anyway. Mm -hmm. And at the end he said, I really, you know, he said that always gets me that one line always gets me. And I was like, my goodness, is this just, what must it be like to be a writer? So moved by your own writing. Like, is it, is that the sign of great writing? Is that the sign of a great narcissist? Is that just like, do you just take, you know, really enter that persona when you're reading it and feel all the feels like, did he, did he cry while he was writing it? These are all the questions that were going through my mind. I was like, Rosemary, this episode is going to be about me asking you what you feel when you're writing. So do you, when you are writing something sad, find yourself in tiny little prickles of tears? Before I answer that question, I would just like to say, if you Beatrice McCabe were writing something sad. 100% you would be weeping onto your keyboard. You can't see something sad, read something sad, listen to sad music. I definitely think I definitely think you would be crying. I don't know though, because I feel like I would not actually be crying. I feel like I would, because I don't find my own. Well, maybe that's not true actually, because now someone, when I lie in bed and I imagine things, I start crying. See? But I don't know if I was focusing on the act of writing. Like it's such an, it's a job, if you know what I mean. Like I have to think about writing at the same time. Like that's the thing that I keep thinking. I'd be a great writer if A, as you said yesterday, I'm a great thinker. I'd be a great writer if only I could like not have to actually write any of this down. If I could just dictate it to my computer, but then I can't sit there and dictate. I feel stupid because somebody near and dear to me who I love so much, plus Majuli, Loves to find my dictator machine. What's it called? My dictaphone. <laughs> and replay for me some of the pieces that I've recorded onto it. Yes. I've never heard these pieces, but I want to. Where's your dictaphone? Yes. I don't know. It's hidden somewhere because Julie used to find it on mornings when we were extremely hungover and play it much to her own amusement. 
You have played it to me. Oh my God, I want to play it again. I have no recollection of this. I've obviously blanked it out of horror. Yes, it is so embarrassing when somebody takes... And then, and my voice, which like your voice played back to you. Look, your eyes, you look delighted. <laughs> I'm just imagining your dramatic readings. Oh my God, I really want to find this. This is almost as good as when I find your, found your diary and then forgot to bring it home from Ireland. I must actually make myself a note. Get mom to post that over. <laughs> I would like all those things. That was really bitchy of you, as dad said. Dad was, dad really defended me. He came to I my know, defense there. I appreciated that. Funny. I was reading them out and mom was like, she didn't say that. And dad was like, that's really nasty now. <laughs> and I was like Beatrice and because like I was fully I was like Beatrice is not going to care like Beatrice is going to find this hilarious and then when he said that I was like oh no maybe she I thought it was care. I check incredibly you. nasty no you incredibly. didn't you lulled okay okay so I guess now we're going to actually put it to the test because I just remembered oh my god what did you just find your diary or my I diary please say it's yours remembered, no I just remembered that I have all this correspondence between us from when I was in Italy in 2004. Oh I'm gonna my read God. it out. <laughs> I'm gonna read it out now and see how you feel about it. Are you ready? What are these? Are these letters or emails? These what are, are letters? They? Hey Beatty. I'm sitting here with Nicole. Who's Nicole watching Buffy? This is Oh my god, Nicole, a friend of mine from college. Today was registration and we got our ID cards. Mine is suitably woeful. Actually, it's not that bad, but I'm sure it'll get tiresome after three years. My writing is funny. I haven't written anything in so long. And I haven't really gotten used to this pen. <laughs> That's not funny, Beatrice. You're... Oh, God, what's coming next? <laughs> That's good. <sighs> I went to an introductory lecture today on psychology and one on Italian. Psychology seems really interesting, but a lot of work. Italian seems great. I was, inc- I was correct about that, it was, but it was boring. It was a lot of work and it was boring. The lecture seemed really lovely, too. I don't know why, but I just really thought it sounded great. Nicole really liked it too and has now decided to do Italian. And while it's nice that I'll know someone, I'd like to be on my own for something so I can meet new people. (laughs) Oh, things with my boyfriend are going really well, actually. We're texting every now and then. What boyfriend? (laughs) Oh, Dave. boyfriend. (laughs) I'm going to have to read some bits. You go back and answer the question that I actually asked you while I find some bits to read out. No, because your laughing is very distracting. <laughs> Why don't you just read all these bits out? You're finding these bits very amusing. Rosemary, there are so many. I have like reams of notebooks, of, of letters here. I, th- I can't believe I loved you so much that I wrote you letters. You lucky thing. I have I boxes. Mean. I have boxes upon boxes of emails that we sent each other the summer before that when I worked in the civil service. And when I, the day before I finished up, finished my notice, I printed them all out. That was good thinking now, I have to say. Oh my God, Rosemary. As for this boy, I've heard nothing since Thursday night. Nada. I really don't understand what I possibly could have done, but be wonderful. This is you. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually, I mean, that could be me right now. And I mean, he was texting me every day and he even rang me and now nothing. Nothing. Who? What's his name? Evan. Evan? No recollection. This is 31st of August. Nothing. I mean, he could have an excuse, but I have a bad feeling. Then again, maybe he's schizophrenic. Oh my God. <laughs> Very on PC. I mean, who is... No recollection of that either. Is this in college? First off, we went out last night and she kissed who, quite frankly... Well, I'm going to get her t-shirt saying, I do mingers. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is publishable. Is she French? Oh my God, what is this? Go on, just blank out some names, would you? And like, take out me being awful. July 14th, 2003. Dear Beatrice, I'm writing you a really quick letter. I swear to God, if you tell mom any of this, I will never speak to you again. Obviously, I'm going to have to tell her and dad eventually, but I'd rather do it myself. To be honest, I'm quite terrified. You can probably guess what it is. Can you? Am I pregnant? I don't think I was ever pregnant. I'm back with... terrified of telling mom and dad i really think they'll kill me well i know they won't kill me i really miss though i love him <sighs> Poor. we'll see i'm terrified though it's just gonna end up the same oh i'm such a pessimist <laughs> readers it did end up the same actually amazing oh my god where are your letters to me you obviously don't have those do you i'm trying to find where mine are i feel like i printed out all of mine as well oh my god look at all these photos of is this in a folder this is very organized. Very, very organized. Are there some in here? Hold on. Maybe there's some in here with um, my letters. Let me see. Oh, dear Beatty. Oh. People I no longer speak to. Love you, Rosemary. Mum bought me a bottle of Bacardi. I tell you, the day was full of surprises. Is this me still? <laughs> <laughs> that is surprising. Hi, I'm just writing you a quick note to see how well my laptop and printer are working. Oh my God, I am turning into mother. Next thing you know, I'll be using borders and other fancy things like this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, poor you. You're a dope. Look at all these great letters. Where are mine? Maybe we should scan and upload some of these to the Patreon. Oh my God. Sign up to Patreon to read more with many names redacted. And I'll have to actually redact any and all like terrible words that I'm using that I should not be using. Here's me. I'm still working in Pogues, but only once a week at the moment. I must have been living in Milan. It's fine, really. I'm working tonight. I'm supposed to start at six, but obviously I will only leave work here at six. So I get there 6.30 or 6.45. I actually enjoy it a lot more than I'm working less. (laughs) What a surprise. Okay, anyway, go ahead. So let's go back to David Sedaris and tell me how emotional you feel when you're writing. How invested do you feel in your writing? Okay, so it it totally depends. I think the writing that I do now for Substack is pretty much all about me or else I'll write about like life in America or cultural differences and stuff. And the book that I have written is obviously a memoir about my my dating life, which, as you can tell from those letters, has obsessed most of my thoughts for my entire life. Actually, I feel like I'm very free now that I'm not that I'm no longer worrying about men, that I have one locked in. So like, imagine all the thoughts of incredible thoughts and like intelligent things that I could be doing. Can't even get that sentence that I'm so intelligent. But what I was going to say was when I was writing my memoir, it was obviously a lot of it was very personal. I mean, all of it was personal, right? And obviously a lot of it was very emotional because I was writing about all of these like big emotions that I had while dating X person or Y person. And clearly, I mean, some of them I can't even remember. I can't believe I didn't include Evan in my memoir. I have no idea who that is. Um, But there were definitely moments where, you know, that episode of Friends where Joey's reading the Stephen King book and he has to put it in the freezer because he's like, he's so freaked out by it. I definitely felt like that when I was writing certain chapters that I kind of, I would get even like a third of the way through and I would start going through. There was one guy that I dated and as I was writing the chapter about him, I, I got to writing about like our first official date 
when he basically stood me up because his alarm hadn't gone off and then he kind of got annoyed with me because I didn't ring him to wake him up like I didn't ring him when he was five minutes late you know what I mean I only rang him when he was 20 minutes late and he was like why didn't you ring me sooner and as I was writing this down I was like this is all a very bad omen for what is to come and obviously like I knew what was to come and it wasn't going to get any better and as I like as I was writing it I was getting really upset on my own behalf and then also sometimes like it's it's hard and I think it's important but it's hard not to get like obsessed with the idea of what are people going to think of me when they read this like are they going to think because I was I was writing it going oh oh my god I'm such a fool like I was such an idiot and also I can't be convinced that I wouldn't do the exact same thing now so I'm still such an idiot and feeling really like pathetic and going are people going to read this and just be like what an absolute loser like state of her you know what was she doing but it's but it's I think it's important to not get bogged down in that because that's when you start writing it trying to make yourself look better which isn't honest you know what I mean and like already it's not 100% honest because you're like I'm everything I'm writing is from my perspective so right there's my perspective there's the other person's perspective and somewhere in the middle there's the truth and I'm trying to be as honest as possible and write about my feelings and you know how how it happened through my lens but it is through a lens but I do think that if I get bogged down in how is this going to be perceived you end up getting less and less or you end up getting further and further away from the truth, which is not obviously what I was aiming for. But I did find, I mean, I I didn't, I don't think I cried at any point writing it, but I think if I had, probably if I was in therapy and I was like, I would have been forced to work through it. Whereas I think there were moments where I felt like if I keep writing this, I will cry and I stopped. Mm. And like, I stopped for a week or I stopped for two weeks or I stopped for a month at some stages where I was like, I literally cannot even, I cannot go back to that. I cannot think about that. But then I would do nothing. I would just obsess. I was. I would think about it obsessively for for the weeks of the days afterwards. And it was Did like do reopening an old wound or something. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. 
jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Did you do it in a certain order? Like, did you put, did you leave the harder ones till the end? Or like, did you do it chronologically? Or how, how did you tackle it? A bit of both. When I first started writing it, that it was not that long after I broke up with my ex before Brandon, who I'd been dating for five years. And I started writing that story because A, it was the longest relationship. So I felt like it would be the longest chapter. And B, it was kind of the freshest. So I felt like it would be the easiest one to get over and done with. But actually, I ended up writing about half of it and then coming back to it much later because I felt like I was too close to it to be truly honest with myself about just about how some of some of the events had unfolded and how they had affected me and or or not or, you know, like my behavior in in that relationship. So that was the one I started with. And then there were ones that I left till the end, like I left the chapter about Liam till the end because I kind of couldn't figure out how to write it or something like it felt like our our friendship now obviously started out as like we started out dating and now we're such good friends and in a way I found it difficult to I found it difficult to explain that even to myself like how we had so much love and affection for each other and we got on so well but how we ended up breaking up because in a way as I was writing the breakups they all were these kind of tragedies and it was like the end of something whereas with Liam our breakup kind of ended up being the beginning of something and I found that hard to write because it didn't really fit the mold of my idea of what a breakup led to or why a breakup happened, if you know what I mean. So you mentioned a bit about kind of being annoyed with yourself or like, you know, chastising yourself for being stupid or, you know, putting up with things that kind of, you know, you shouldn't put up with or that you would you would tell other people they shouldn't be put up, putting up with, etc. Do you think you have more empathy for Did you think you had any empathy for yourself as you wrote it or more empathy as you went through it? Or were you still by the end of it kind of going, I should have known better about some of these things or like, how did you approach it? How did you feel? It's a weird one. I, I don't think I like in writing it, I definitely tried to have more empathy for myself than I would have had if I'd written it five or 10 years ago. Like I think, and I think it's something that my therapist used to say to me a lot. Like I used to talk about or think about things that had happened to me and try to find like the funny story, like try to be like mine them for funny content. And in writing this, I think when I first started writing it, I was like, this is funny. But then I would kind of go over the chapter and be like, actually in trying to make it funny, I haven't been quite honest about how it affected me or about my own behavior or my own reactions to things. So in trying to kind of reduce the comedy a bit, I think I ended up by default being more empathetic to myself. But at the same time, I did find it really hard because even doing this podcast, like I know we joke about it, about like, you know, when I'm like, what's the most important thing? Like, and you're like having a boyfriend, but that's always been true. And like, I, I don't think, I don't think I've ever truly stopped feeling like that. And in a way that makes me feel really pathetic, but I've just had to kind of make my peace with it and be like, you know what? having a relationship has always been important to me and you know excuse me could you have some empathy for me and not give me that horrible voice every time you you quote me having a boyfriend 
<laughs> For God's sake. That's how you sound to my delicate ears. I'm sure it is. Well, I mean, but, you know, when you say that, like, and I'm definitely somebody who's always like, Rosemary, you can be on your own, but not not in a way that's, I actually don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be, to be in a relationship. And I actually don't, I think it's more that if you're not happy in these relationships and if you're looking for them at the expense of spending time with your friends, I, I don't really think you did that because I think some people just like to, they're very sociable. They like to be with other people. They like to be kept company. You know, they're not, and it's not, I don't think you have any problems being by yourself. I genuinely don't. I think that you just always wanted to be comfortable with somebody else like it's and I really it's not even about like looking for like because I do know some people who are in relationships that are so volatile and dramatic and they thrive on that you know and Mm -hmm. for whatever reason and they can't it's not even that they can't not be in a relationship they can't not be in a relationship that is high drama you know so people follow patterns right I, I think that's true but I mean I would look at people very close to me like potentially my own mother and say that she loves to be around people, to be with people, to be in relationships, like to be, I mean, she would be literally sitting on dad's knee every minute of every day if she could be, but you know, like she's the one who'll say, yeah. so-and-so will go like to their family for Christmas and somebody and their partner will go to their own family, you know, and like they're happy as Larry and mom, like flummoxed, you yeah, know, yeah. totally just can't grasp it. So like, it's not, it's not unique to you, you know, but I also think it's not necessarily just about, I want to be, I'm not necessarily looking for the ring on my finger, but I don't, it's just this idea of, I want to be surrounded by people who make me feel good. Like that's not really a bad thing. No, but I think for me as well, a lot of it has been about, I want to feel wanted or I want to feel, I would feel like somebody fancies me Mm. basically. And that's the part that I'm like, Oh, why do you care? Especially Cause I'm like, why do I care what men think? Mm. You know what I mean? I'm like, that annoys me that it's always about like, Ooh, I wonder if that man fancies me when in fact I should be like that man's opinion is irrelevant. See, I just did that voice for myself. Yeah. Or you should be like Nash. Like, do I fancy that man? That is always a secondary thought in my mind. Oh, same. You know? Yeah. Yeah. When I, yeah, when I like it's... go on dates from online dating, I would never think, I hope I fancy this person actually because I fancy everyone. So I'd be like, inevitably I will fancy this person. Like, I would just be so worried about whether they would fancy me. It's interesting because when I read the Guardian dating column, I think I'm always fascinated by like, there was just no spark. So I'm giving him a six. I would have literally been like, hopefully he'll date me again. I know. Hopefully he'll give me an eight. I mean, I'd say, I'm sure they all still want to be given an eight regardless. Yeah. But like loads of them are like, oh, you know, I'd see him again as friends. I would like, but like also I would always give someone like, as long as he wasn't a total weirdo, I'd be like, we'll see you on a second date. Like, you know, I'd always be like. You know, even if there's no spark, there might be a spark. But do you think that now that I said, well, I mean, actually, no, I was going to say, do you think now that I said that, that, you know, they're just protecting themselves because they're about to be in a national newspaper and read all the way far as far away as Fort Wayne or, but probably not because like you have friends with great abilities as, as, as do I, I'm sure, but I've just never witnessed them. Like you have friends with great abilities to be like, I'm not interested in a second date with that person. Oh that, yeah. You know, we had a I weird know. flick of hair or something. I know. And I'm totally always, benign. I'm always the like, little granny going ah would you not give him a second chance like he might grow on you like imagine if he's maybe he's funny although like i do think if somebody's funny they're funny on a first date as well oh you mean they might get funny oh yeah I don't yeah you might discover happen. they're funny down the line oh, but funny, no. strange maybe but not funny haha if they weren't the first time i know whereas i literally would go on a date with like the most boring remember i went on a date with this guy 
very pleasant, very boring. And like, I don't know that we, I don't know that I, he asked me a single thing about myself or that I even learned a single interesting thing about him. And literally when I got home, I was like, hope he asked me on a second date. Why? I went on a date with this guy who was absolute, like less interesting than a brick wall, truly. Like about that fascinating, about that engaging, about that soft and romantic. And he worked in the government. He did something with like he was an attache. Good pensionable to, job. Actually, he connected with me years later on LinkedIn. I was like, what is what is going on here? And I was like, but I was going like, yes, you know, grown up. Nothing wrong with him. Like, so happily go on a second date and see. I mean, we didn't we had a grand conversation, but he writes back. You don't seem intellectual enough for me. Oh my God, I went on a date with a guy who I'm pretty sure thought that about me, although he didn't say it in so many words. I mean, in fairness to this poor dude, I was probably speaking absolute pigeon French at the time, but he should have spoken to me in English and then seen who was the more intellectual. That's actually a good point. In fairness, in fairness to my intellectual dude, I do think I spoke about a lot of rubbish to him. Afterwards, I was like, I was really focused on like, are you watching this on telly? Didn't you go out with a highly intellectual nuclear physicist or something that like he actually did fancy you? Didn't you go out with somebody? Oh, not yeah, he yeah. actually not. He actually did fancy. Yeah, that was like, rude. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, I went out with a guy who was doing a PhD in some kind of like nuclear thing who did really fancy me. Yeah. Yeah. He was living the very poor PhD life and living in a bedsit. It was awful. Just like the accommodation options are awful and it's awful that PhD students get paid so little is kind of what I mean. This it was coming grand. from somebody who was happy to do a sleepover in a tiny bunk of a massive it warehouse not, filled with bunks. It was not and, a bunk. And it a was like a blanket on a pallet. And a blanket divider. It was a gauzy curtain rooms. divider, yeah. Yeah, listen, Beatrice, <laughs> I'm an equal opportunities one night stander. Well, it wasn't a one night stand. We ended up going out for ages. Well, I know. The weeks I know, that I was so in Milan. He, he was so a doubt. More like, this bedsit was a step up, was my point. It was. It was several steps up. It was on the top floor. Oh, funny. Funny. Thanks. Wow. Tell me though, like, are there any stories that you think you would write about your life that would make you cry? Probably loads. No, it's more when I cast myself into the future and just think about all the things that the future, all the loss that the future holds in store for me. Oh, stop. that's the part. That's the part that I dread. Everything's fine right now. Oh, yeah. stop. I sometimes even think about like the things that I won't be there for in Atlas's life. Even oh, yeah, though don't I'm do like, that. Don't do that. Stop right now. No, no. But I was just about to say, even though by the time I die, right, he'll be hopefully in his 60s. I don't care about the lives of 60 year old men. Boring. Oh, you will. You will. I know. I know. I'll tell you the one recurring fear I have that always makes me cry. At night in bed, I sometimes imagine bringing the kids to Ireland, like when we go on our next Irish trip, and I imagine bringing them to the cliffs anywhere, like on the on the West Coast. And then I remember as a child how scared I would get going up to the edge of these cliffs and how when I was in college, I went and we did that art weekend, art week where I fell on the rock and disfigured myself, etc. But how we would, we were out unsupervised, like on the cliffs of wherever, you know, the, the rocky coast. And I think about my children and always as I'm thinking about this, one of them falls over. In your imagination. Yeah. In your imaginings. And I always start crying. Now, what is that about? It's an actual fear of them going unsupervised 
to the cliffs of Ireland. Like there are other things to be afraid of in life. Like I don't think I should be unnecessarily fixating on this. And yet. Neither do I. And I've also never been to the cliffs of Mohair. Have you? Uh, no. Oh, yes. I think. I don't know. I probably, I don't remember anything. I was reading one of those letters. It was like, I loved Vicenza and somewhere else. I'm like, don't have zero recollection of that now. Zero. So no, I, I do have no empathy for myself looking back. Pathetic. Pathetic. So basically loser. writing, writing is like therapy though. So you're, like, you're reliving all these moments. You're not just writing them kind of at a remove. You're living them again. Yeah, true. I mean, writing memoir. I'm hoping that once this book comes out and I can just never talk about it again and then proceed to write fiction for the rest of my life. <laughs> You're right, though, because David Sedaris is a memoirist. And he actually said, to go back to your earlier point, at one point he said, like, my family just have to be OK with what I write. Like, you're lucky because mom and dad have said they're not going to read your books. So you're fine. And if you'd known that at the beginning, you probably could have had no qualms. Beatrice, I had no qualms. Oh, yes, but you would have had even fewer no qualms. So it's actually, yeah, it, it is lucky that I didn't know that at the beginning because I had a modicum of self-respect, I'd say. Exactly, yeah. Whereas David Sedaris, you know, cause he, his first book was pretty harsh about his family and actually all of them are pretty harsh about his siblings and his parents. And he did say, like, I just write what I want to write and they have to get on with it. Well, yeah, but what he also said was, I write what I have to write, they have to get on with it, but everything I write is coming from a place of love and they know how much I love them and I feel like that comes across in my writing. Which I wouldn't be too sure. Dress your family in corduroy and denim. Some of them I'm like, mm, do you really love that yeah. person? But I mean, that's also a bit like, fuck you, right? I I feel like that comes across. Hmm. Good for you. I'm happy you feel that. I'm not sure I would feel that if I was his mother. I'm going to start writing scathing essays about you and they'll be like, but you know how much I love you. You don't look that impressed. I don't think you'd love that. I, no, actually, I was going to say, honestly, that would be fine. I really don't think that would bother me. But like, what exactly are you going to put into them now that I'm thinking about this? Well, I'm, <laughs> I'll, I'll write one and I'll send it to you and be like, scheduled to be published in an hour and a half. Let me know okay, what you think. Scathing about me is fine. Your opinions of me is fine. But like, if you tell secrets about my life now, that's, don't know why my hand is doing this. You're suddenly, of... your mouth has gone, oh, you've got all tiny. <laughs> your mouth has gone tiny as well. You're like, secrets about my life now. I'm not sure about that. No, I'm going to write this essay. I'm going to schedule it for an hour and a half after I send it to you. And, it, and finally, maybe that'll put you on a time crunch to actually read it. Because how are you getting on with my book? How are you getting on I'm with really, my book? I'm, I'm actually about three pages away from finishing and I just can't bring myself to finish it because I don't want it to be over, Rosemary. Oh, fuck off. Thank you all so much for listening to Not Without My Sister. Let us know if you cry remembering events in your life or if you cry at your own writing, if you happen to be somebody who does a lot or, of writing. Or lying in bed at night thinking about tragic things that could befall you. Do you cry? Is that normal? Have you been to the Cliffs of Moher with your kids? Let us know. Was that traumatising? Yeah, say it probably was. I'd, I'd say if I went to the Cliffs of Moher with my kids, it'd be traumatising because they'd spend the whole time going, I'm so tired. I can't walk anymore. My feet are killing me. I didn't say it was the Cliffs of Moher. I just said cliffs, like the cliffs. Oh, well, the, the cliffs. Coastal, yeah. the, coast. the cliffs in Ireland, I just think of the Cliffs yeah. of Moher. The coast. They're the only cliffs. Thanks so much for heights. listening. Uh, sign up to our Patreon, patreon.com slash notwithoutmysister. Uh, email us, notwithoutmysis at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week. Thanks. Bye. Not Without My Sister is produced by Liam Garrity. Sound and original music by Don Kirkland. And our original illustration is by Lindsay Nielsen. Oh, God. Back in. Back in, quick. 
Her.ie says Petrified captures listeners' attention from the get-go. It won't open. Reeling them in for a deeply unsettling ride before delivering on some serious scares. When you call the dead back, they are angry and they are lost and they are hungry. Petrified, the award-winning horror drama returns with a cast including Cecil Baldwin and Larry Fessenden. Is that Robert? (gasps) I smelled death. The stench of rot. Petrified, an all-new season of tales from a darker Ireland begins January 11th wherever you listen to podcasts. What am I doing? Just, Just let's end this. 